The scouts had to come up with a whole new star system just to classify him. It's Bill King. and months away from him entering school there, and this isn't fixed. Bill, I didn't hear you uh, for the name there. I, I caught you late. I'm sorry. Yeah, Maui Ohuna. How are we six months into his time at Tennessee, and they can't get him on the field? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, you had that situation right before that first game against Arizona last Friday on opening day. And you had Griffin Merritt the, uh, serving two games from his time at Cincinnati. I think that got kind of swept under, under the rug also. And then Frank Anderson, pitching coach, we all, we all knew that he had one, one game left to, to serve before he could start this 2023 campaign for Tennessee as a pitching coach. But, yeah, Maui Ahuna, but the biggest surprise there of that three, of that trio, uh, not playing and still has not played. Still, uh, still trying to get clearance from the NCAA. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm not too sure. A lot of people do. I know Tony's mentioned it in other avenues, uh, saying he's not sure what he can and cannot say. So, yeah, huge red flag there. I don't know necessarily what's going on there. I, I don't know if it's maybe he hasn't been cleared. I, I don't know as far as let go from fully from Kansas. I do know Kansas first-year head coach there. Uh, he came from LSU. I, I believe he was an assistant and recruiting coordinator for Jay Johnson. Of course, Johnson was in his first season as the Tigers head coach there. So I don't know if there's anything connecting the dots there because obviously Mali Ahuna going to the SEC and that they play LSU at LSU and Bat- Baton Rouge this year. So I don't know if it's something – with that angle, him going to the SEC competitor of LSU, but definitely a surprise on opening day, especially a couple of hours beforehand. So I guess we'll just kind of have to see what transpires there. But obviously a huge loss. Uh, Austin Jazlove has been filling in at shortstop. He's been pretty good. I saw him back in the fall portion against Wake Forest. Uh, he seemed pretty good back then, but obviously – He's not a Maui Ahuna, so once they get Maui inserted, hopefully for Tennessee's sake, into the lineup and defensively more than anything, alongside with his bat, I think it's only going to do wonders for this team. West Coast Sooner out in Los Angeles. Ask Dan who outside of Nico has a legit shot to step in, either start or help out for the Vols football team in this signing class. Yeah, it's a good question because you do look at some of these freshmen coming in outside of Nico, obviously. But I think Josh Heupel and this Tennessee staff did a pretty good job, not necessarily with true freshmen, but but kind of filling the patches on this roster with some of the transfers. So they're not necessarily, obviously, true freshmen. But if you're looking at true freshmen, 
I do think Arion Carter uh, has a chance uh, at middle linebacker. Obviously, he'll be behind Aaron Beasley. But as we all know, injuries can happen. But I think he could also play the will spot. But they did bring in Keenan Peely from BYU. So, so we'll see if he can get any playing time there. But I do think he's high in the depth chart just behind those two guys, especially Beasley at the middle linebacker spot. Then you have guys like Cam Selden, who I, I think can – do a variety of different things. Joey Hosley met with the media a few weeks back and, and kind of highlighted on Cam Selden also that uh, he feels like, I w- wouldn't necessarily say a, a gadget type player, but he can play wide receiver and running back, put him in motion, those type things. I don't think he's going to be an early enrollee guy. So kind of like, uh, I guess, Dylan Sampson last year, just kind of get him in as early as possible outside of uh, spring practices and see where he kind of falls into the rotation. But I think Cam Selden definitely has a chance to maybe not start right away, but but definitely has some playing time. I guess Nathan Leacock, uh, a freshman that played the X wide receiver, as many different variables that they, they throw out there, Josh Heifel with the wide receivers, uh, sometimes four or five wide, he has a chance to maybe step in there and be a starter, at least be a contributor this year. Georgia Dog down on the Emerald Coast. Ask Dan what he would consider a successful season for Tennessee. He says, I have them at 10-2. and two. Yeah, I've got them at 10-2 and two also. Honestly, I almost wrestled with 11-1. and one. The reason I didn't do that, I just think there's – Still some question marks with the quarterback spot. I mean, obviously, Joe Milton played really well the, the two games he filled in, but let's get real, is Vanderbilt and uh, against Clemson, who had some holdouts for the for the Orange Bowl, as well as a, a new quarterback, even though he played that ACC championship game. But is Joe Milton really going to be the guy for, for 12, 13 weeks in SEC regular season? Can he get the job done? If not, if they have to go to Nico, you know, is he ready as a true freshman? But I, I think the schedule really does scream 10 and 2. I, I, I had it 10 and 2 last year as well, but this is kind of a different 10 and 2 because I last year's schedule was pretty good, but this year's is really good considering w- what they're kind of going through with the quarterback spot and everything. But it's going to be a fascinating spring practice all across the SEC. Uh, look at all the, the changes there. You have a new OC and Mike Bobo at Georgia. Bama, two new coordinators. Uh, you look at my, maybe the most interesting is a- A&M going with Bobby Petrino. I think that can turn out to be very, very well for, for A&M if they can get the quarterback spot down right, if Jimbo can just do his own thing without interfering. I think that's the most interesting hire. And then you look at Liam Cohen back at Kentucky and then Florida. Can, can they really make a move in year two under Napier? So it's very, very fascinating. And South Carolina, they, they obviously took a step there last year, but they lost a really good coordinator in Satterfield. And how did they respond to that with the guy that they're bringing in that just got into the college game last year or the last two years at Arkansas is alma mater. So how, how did they handle play calling ability in the SEC with not a ton of experience there. It's, it's going to be really fun to watch. I think Tennessee had a safe hire. We, we all know Josh Heupel runs the offense, calls the plays for the offense. 
Osley gets that name by recognition, promotion, and, and good for him and good for Alec Ablin because Golish leaving, opening that spot up, and you move Hosley just up one chair. Good for him to to really get a chance at that tight end position. But it's gonna be fun to watch, especially spring practices. Just kind of see how all these teams kind of mold their identity this spring with a lot of uh, transition and turnover this year across the conference. Alex Golich, who's moved on as a head coach, as we know, called the plays. Obviously, the head coach has veto power there. But is Halsley for sure calling the plays, or is the head coach calling the plays? No, that I mean, that will be Josh Heupel. I mean, there was talk a little bit the last couple of years that Golish had uh, some input calling plays, maybe certain, like, third downs, whatever. But, I mean, let's get real. I mean, that you, you kind of see that stuff floating out there, uh, right. maybe just for a, a good resume for Golish. Uh, so he continues to to make his mark and continue to move up the coaching ladder. But no, Josh Heupel has all his hands on this thing, and I mean Hosley's a big thing. I will say this: if he remains in the in the booth like Golish did, and like Hosley was the last couple of years as QB's coach, who do they kind of look towards on the sideline for, for you know? timeouts or things in that nature to, to have a presence there. Obviously, Heifel's a quarterback himself, but maybe that's a Mitch Melitello now. Uh, who should be moving up uh, the coaching ladder himself, just like Golish and Alec Ablin has? But uh, I kind of look at that. Who's going to be the, the next guy behind Heifel in the quarterback's ear on the sideline? And that could be a Mitch Melitello, who's the analyst, who can still do that on the sideline, obviously just not with a headset or anything like that. Dan Harrelson, USA Today, covers Tennessee. Tom in Myrtle Beach, ask Dan, does he think Dante Thornton, wide receiver, transfer Oregon, can make an immediate impact? Yes, I do. And that's another guy Hawley kind of mentioned about a few weeks back. Uh, I think he's probably right now uh, right behind Squirrel White at the wide slot spot. And, of course, Tennessee, that they can sometimes run a couple of slots positions in different formations so uh, he he's the guy not a true freshman one of those guys i was alluding to a transfer from oregon like you mentioned that he can easily slide in here and 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 be a contributor right away because they lost a couple guys as we all know in the wide receiver spot but i think he's a guy with his speed and just his experience that they can really work on especially this spring uh trying to get him in the in the mix there with his offense I think he's the kind of talent, Dan, that could explode there with his size and his, he's got elite green grass speed. And and you know what's interesting? He and Squirrel White, you talk about that same position, could not be physically more different, right? I mean, as far as stature, Squirrel White's small, super quick, fast. And, heck, in that bowl game, he was – you could argue in the bowl game he was their feature target at least early. What did he catch, about nine balls in that thing? That's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah I like Squirrel. I, I've been following him since his high school days. He, I mean, they had him everywhere in high school. That speaks volumes that he was able to step in pretty much right away this past year and really come on the scene. And it's always good to see true freshmen, like you said, in the Orange Bowl towards the end of the year, kind of take that next step like a Dylan Sampson and – 
be in prime position maybe for that spring practice that next year, that sophomore season, and really be a key part of this team. Uh, I think really the biggest question mark, I wouldn't say it's an issue, but a question mark on this offense is just figuring out the, the pieces on the offensive line. Cooper May is, is going to be there at center. Uh, Spragans at right guard. Uh, they're really hoping they can get something out of John Campbell, the, the transfer right tackle from Miami. And then Carrick, the left guard transfer from Texas. And then you have Mincy, the, the Florida transfer that played last year. Is he going to be that good to, to fill in and be that left tackle uh, again this year? So a lot of moving pieces there, but I, I think they have a pretty good hands-on uh, feel for what they want to do on the offensive line. And that's, once they get that cemented, I think it's only going to help the, the receiving game and then obviously the, the running back group who's pretty deep compared to probably the deepest since Josh has been at Tennessee. So it should be kind of fun what they can do. And uh, Khalifa Keith, the, the big back out of Birmingham, he's not going to be an early enrollee, but he's that big type back that they've been kind of looking for. At. So we'll see how soon he can – be involved in this offense because they definitely need a big bruiser in short yardage situations. Only maybe a minute and a half. We'll go to basketball here. Yeah, they beat Alabama, but in general, they're limping around right now, heading towards the SEC tournament, which, by the way, is here, and then on to the NCAA tournament. Well, it's it's been an interesting season for uh, Rick Barnes and company. They they could have easily had the number one uh, ranking. Uh, you lose to Florida, you watch Purdue lose, you could have got that number one ranking. When you play Bama, you beat them. You could have been the number one team, but they keep losing games that they should not lose. And it's very apparent. Obviously, they, they kind of live and die by the, the three-point shot. They just don't have a presence down low. But the biggest concerning part to me is that they don't have anybody reliable on the wing to really drive and create stuff. And if you can't do it this far into the season, I just don't see how that's going to get any better. But it's really, really fascinating that Rick Barnes can bring in a lot of talent, but you're still having issues with people on the wing or somebody consistent down low. And you just wonder if a guy like Drew Pember, who's at Asheville now, how he would have, done well with this team. Uh, I, I know at one point this season, Drew Pember set the Asheville single-game points record, so he's been doing pretty well over there. Big, tall body uh, on the perimeter. You just wonder, some of these guys that's transferred out, like a Jordan Powell, some of those guys, I mean, they could easily fit into this year's team, and you just wonder about why people left. And B.J. Edwards, uh, he, I think he's a guy that should have Played a lot more, especially early on. If you're going to lose games, you might as well lose games early and get better. Kind of like Kennedy Chandler as a freshman last year, too, because about this time last year, they really took that next step. And if they had Kennedy this year, I mean, they would it would be a different story. That could easily be the number one team in the nation, but they don't have him. And it just makes you wonder – but why people do transfer out, and they could have been key contributors, especially on this year's team. Dan, appreciate the time. All right, thank you. Dan Harrelson, USA Today, covers Rocky Top. Nico, y'all.
what's going to happen this season.